maybe you're new with us this morning. My name is Tommy Redding, and I'm the discipleship pastor here. And uh, we're just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Um, you know, I'm typically not the one that speaks on Sunday mornings here. You know, a few months ago, whenever I was meeting with our pastor Scott in his office, we were talking about the Ten Commandments series. And we, were, we talked about life group material, and, and it led us to discuss when he was going to be out of town on vacation and so on, and, and the topics that needed to be covered while he was gone. And, and I'd already been studying the Ten Commandments quite a bit as I've been preparing for the life group material. And I told him, I said, I would be willing to take the Sixth Commandment, the one on do not murder, uh, because I'd felt challenged by the research and, um, you know, just found it kind of intriguing as I was going through it. Uh, and in a way, I, you could say, I look forward to speaking on this commandment. But since that conversation, part of me has honestly dreaded talking about it today. See, ever since I agreed to talk about the Sixth Commandment, a lot has happened in our world. We've seen Russian soldiers kill Ukrainian soldiers and civilians over the last three to four months. Abortion has hit the news in a major way, again, due to the possibility of it being overturned on a national level. People are upset that they may lose their right to an abortion. We've seen reports of mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo, New York. People have been shot and killed at graduation parties, grocery stores, downtown areas, malls, schools, a church, and even a hospital. You know, I could go on and on and on with heartbreaking instances, like I just mentioned. And I've thought, why did I ever think that this commandment, do not murder, was an easy one to grasp? Because when I look at our world today, murder has become a new norm for our lives. And sadly, accepted by many in our world. You know, it's wild to think that when I was a kid, <clears throat> I remember looking at the Ten Commandments, you know, and you're a little kid in Sunday school, you'd have the little posters that have the Ten Commandments on there, you know, Moses standing next to him, and, and, I, and I thought whenever I looked at those, those would be pretty easy to keep. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know what adultery was, so I didn't have to really worry about that one too much. I knew that I was uh, supposed to go to church on Sundays. And I wasn't supposed to use God's name as a cuss word, easy enough. I didn't worship statues, and I only believed that there was one God, so those seemed like they were easy to follow. And then, you know, as a kid, I could see the importance of being reminded that I shouldn't lie, that I shouldn't steal, um, that I shouldn't be jealous of others and their things and so on. And I probably, like a lot of kids, needed to be reminded a little bit more that I should obey my parents, but really, what kid didn't need that reminder? But when it came to the commandment on murder, I, I couldn't really connect with that one. Again, in the mind of a child, it was like an obvious thing. Don't kill anyone. I mean, me, a murderer, that just... And like I said, it just didn't connect. That was not an issue that really came up in my childhood. And as a child, the Ten Commandments, they were, you know, they were just ten things that we were supposed to memorize in our Sunday school class. And they were ten things that said uh, what you should or should not do. And looking back, I really didn't have a clue what these verses meant. 
And as we get ready to discuss the commandment, do not murder, maybe you are sitting here today thinking something similar to what I used to think. Do not murder seems pretty self-explanatory. I mean, the sermon kind of writes itself. Don't murder anyone. There's not a need to take 30 to 40 minutes to discuss these three words. Just don't murder. We can dismiss, beat all the other churches to the restaurants, go eat lunch, and it's a good day. In reality, though, this verse goes so, so much deeper. So today our main verse will be Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Do not murder. But before we can go any further, we need to establish what does do not murder actually mean. See, the Hebrew word for murder, ratzak, I I feel fancy when I say that, um, basically means to slay or to put to death improperly for selfish reasons rather than with authorization. It's important to understand this because some people will say that this verse does not translate do not murder, but instead that it says do not kill. Now, if you've ever heard me speak before, whether a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or even heard me in a life group, you will not typically hear me go back to original biblical languages. Uh, But I believe it makes a difference here because ratzak is the proper translation right here. This specific word is only used a few times throughout the entire Bible. Now, how many of you were like me and you grew up reading the King James Version? That's, you know, that's what I know. I knew the Ten Commandments that way, and I knew John 3.16 that way. I can try to say John 3.16 in, you know, in the ESV or the CSB or something, but my, those, those thou's and believeths and those things creep back in there. But that's how I learned the Ten Commandments. So when you knew the Ten Commandments through the KJV, you learned, thou shalt not kill. This is actually an incorrect translation, though. Because the KJV uses the word katal, which means to kill. And that word is used over hundreds of times throughout Scripture. So how do we know that ratzak is the correct translation instead of the word katal. When we look throughout Scripture, there were many times when life was taken in a manner consistent with God's Word. And what I mean by this is there were times where God said that life could be taken under the proper circumstances. Therefore, it meant someone was killed, not murdered. And we're going to discuss these circumstances a little bit later. But before we look at what constitutes murder and what does not, we need to understand why God even gave us this command in the first place. People would generally agree that this command makes sense because we don't want people going around and just simply committing murder whenever they feel like it. But then some may say, why not? Why can't we? Why can't we murder others whenever we want besides the fact that just most people simply don't agree that that's something we should do? And beyond that, how do we even determine whose life is worth protecting? Maybe someone thinks the world would be a better place without this person or or without this person over here, but then someone else has a differing opinion. So who would be right and who would be wrong? 
Well, thankfully, we can lean on God's word to determine why this is an important command. Early on in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Nothing else in all of creation can say this but us. Nothing. And this is important because when we look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The value in human life is established because not only are we God's creation, but we were created in the image of God. God does not provide any qualifiers on this statement. He doesn't say only a specific race is made in the image of God or a specific gender is made in the image of God or only healthy people are made in the, in the image of God or certain demographics are made that way. He says that all mankind was made in his image. We are not the ones who determine the value of someone's life. God has already determined that every person has value because he made them and they were made in his image. God determined that value. Laws and passages like Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 8 and Exodus chapter 21 verses 28 and 29 show how much God values life and how we should value it as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 8 it says this, When you build a new house you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. This basically says that in the days when this passage was written when you built your house that you should have a parapet around your roof. And a parapet is like a, a short wall, you know, just kind of imagine a little wall that may come up like to my knees, just a little short wall there uh, around the edge of your roof, and that would keep anyone from inadvertently falling off of your roof. And you're going, why would you need to worry about anyone falling off of your roof? Well, you have to understand that in those times that when it got nighttime and it began to get cooler, then it was very common for them to go out on their roof and go outside of their home where it was a little bit cooler so they could relax and enjoy the evening. And if you think about it, if you're walking around on a roof at nighttime when it's dark, it would be hard to see the edge of the roof. So because of that, parapets were built so that no one would fall off of your roof. And a modern concept of this would be when people build fences around their swimming pool. They are built so no one accidentally falls in and drowns. Parapets were, were built to show that you valued others and you wanted to ensure their safety. That's why you build a fence around a pool. But if you did not add a parapet to your roof, you'd be considered responsible for their death because you did not value people enough to add it to your home. It was basically you saying, I don't really care, they should be able to figure it out for themselves. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 and 29, it says this, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. 
but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned, but it has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. So here we have another situation. You know, it just happens so commonly around Cookville. Matter of fact, in between services, Philip Baker, I love him to death because he just, he, he just does a great job out there and, you know, and he works with Farm Bureau Insurance. He goes, well, you know, there's actually, there's actually a law. And I, I, I think it was like the notoriously mischievous, negligent something. But there, there's, there's stuff around this. We have common laws to this, you know, nowadays about, about people having to make sure that no one gets injured or killed. So in this situation... You have an ox that has killed, it has escaped and killed someone. And the owner was not held liable. It was, it was because it was considered an accident. But if the owner knew that the ox had a tendency to gore people in the past, and the owner did not take any extra measures to protect people from the ox, then not only would the ox be put to death, but the owner himself would be put to death because he did not value the life of others. Through the Old Testament laws, through these Old Testament laws, then we can see how much God values the life of his creation. And as a result, because we hold value to God and he is the one who created us, he has the right and is the one who gets to determine when it is proper or improper to kill someone that is made in his image. He determines the difference between murder and killing. So based on God's word, what does or does not constitute murder today? Well, one of the first examples that's not considered murder is self-defense. In Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3a, it says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. So we see that if a thief broke into someone's house at night and the homeowner felt he had no choice but to kill the intruder as a way to protect himself and to protect his family, then the homeowner would not be guilty. This would not constitute murder. If it was daytime, though, and the homeowner could see the thief in his home and determine that he was not a threat to his safety, but he proceeded to kill the intruder, then the homeowner would be found guilty. You know, several states have stand-your-ground laws that are actually based off of this Old Testament law when it comes to self-defense. Another example that, that does not constitute murder is capital punishment. Earlier when we read Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we saw that if a person murdered someone, they were to be killed as well because someone made in the image of God was wrongfully killed. Exodus 21, 14 says, But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Again, we see the appropriate penalty for murder per scripture is death. And according to Romans 13, it is the government's role to enact this punishment, not the common citizen. If someone we know is murdered, we do not have that right to, to go out and find that person and execute the punishment. 
It says that the government is the avenger who carries out God's wrath on those who do wrong. God has not placed the common citizen in that position to carry out the role of punishing someone for murder. But I'll say this, at the same time, our hope and prayer should be that due diligence has occurred to ensure that the guilty party accused of murder is indeed guilty because sadly, we've seen just too many times in the news or read about it online where a person was punished by the death penalty but then evidence came out later that showed that they were innocent. When we say that we value life by enacting laws to protect life, then those in charge of decisions, such as the death penalty, must also value life enough to ensure that life is not wrongly taken through capital punishment. Another time when killing is, is not viewed as murder is through what is known as the just war theory. We see multiple instances in the Old Testament where, where God sent people into battle. They would go into wars. People were killed by those that God sent into battle. But the deaths were not viewed as murder. It's also important to know that according to the just war theory, war can only be declared by those who have the legitimate authority to do so. An effort to, to solve the issue or for reconciliation to occur should take place before ever going to a war. And a country must be fighting a defensive war and not a conquering war for it to be considered just. Going to war is a very serious matter and due to its implications on life. And it should only be seen as a way to preserve innocent life, not used to take life for selfish gain. In each of these instances, although life was taken, the act was sanctioned by God and his word, and the dignity and sanctity of life was upheld. They were not actions that took place as a result of anger, revenge, or selfish gain. So since we've covered what murder is, what acts would be considered murder by biblical standards? Well, first, any type of premeditated intentional murder. An example of this would be the, the murder of Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. And some of you may have heard this story before, but, but Ahab really wanted Naboth's vineyard, but he would not sell it to Ahab. So Ahab went home and he pouted to his wife and he just moped around and she got tired of it. Her name was Jezebel. So she decided to uh, write some letters in his name and send them out to some people which started the process that would ultimately set up a situation where Naboth would get falsely accused of cursing God and the king. As a result, he was stoned and killed, clearing the way for Ahab to take possession of the vineyard. This was clearly premeditated. It was planned out and done intentionally in order to gain from Naboth being killed. Under the definition of murder, someone was put to death improperly for selfish reasons. Next, any type of unpremeditated intentional murder, or what we more commonly know as voluntary manslaughter. This means that, that someone had not planned in advance to kill someone, but, but ultimately killed them. An example of this would be you're driving down the road in Cookville, 
and uh, you see a car driving and it cuts another car off. And the, the car, the offended car that was cut off decides to get road rage and speeds up after the other car, runs them off the road, and he's mad enough, shoots them and kills them. That would be an example of someone intentionally taking someone's life improperly for selfish reasons, even though they were not planning that morning to kill anyone. Then there's negligent homicide, which we discussed in the passages about the parapet and the, on the roof and the ox. Some actions could have, been, could have prevented the death, but proper actions did not take place in order to actually prevent it. There's also reckless homicide where, for example, someone is killed by a drunk driver. They didn't have intentions to cause someone, but their reckless actions caused the death to occur. And, and you could say that most people would agree that those are all pretty clear-cut cases of murder. But in our world today, we encounter murder that disguises itself under the pretense of human rights. For example, suicide would fall in this category. The act in and of itself would be considered self-murder. Some would say that, that people should have the right to do this and because God would want them happy and not going through the pain or struggles or whatever else that would be causing them to go through so much. But doing so would go against God's word. And although suicide is a, is a sin because it is an unauthorized taking of life, it is not an unforgivable sin. God does not desire us to do anything that violates his commandments or his word. And when someone commits suicide, it robs God of the ability to be glorified through that person's life. And sadly, there are too many times where suicide has happened as a result of a mental health issue. Sadly, I've seen it over the years with, with, with ministers who have committed suicide. And as a church, we must do what we can to help others see how much God values them and loves them and that suicide is not the answer. Another example of murder would be euthanasia. This is what you would consider, you know, um, the painless killing of a patient suffering from an incurable and painful disease. And again, while people may argue that this is a human right and, and people should be able to choose a peaceful way of dying in order to avoid pain and suffering from a disease, doing so still goes against God's word. As we do not have the authority to take our own lives or allow someone to take our lives in this manner. Euthanasia is not ending treatment. Euthanasia is ending life. And sadly, in some countries like the Netherlands, euthanasia is being requested more by family members than from actual patients. Even worse, they have seen insurance companies push the option more because they would rather not pay for treatment that could extend someone's life for a few months, especially when they, could believe, when they believe that euthanasia is a more cost-effective option. Some people view those with terminal illnesses or those with special needs, or, or those who are completely dependent on others as inconveniences instead of people that are image bearers of God. 
and that those people are valued by God because every single person's life matters to him. Human life has value from conception until natural death. And speaking of life having value from conception until natural death, we have to discuss abortion. Do you know that a few years ago, all 50 states had stricter laws protecting animals than they did protecting human beings? No, we live in a country where a pregnant woman could be driving to an abortion clinic, get hit by a drunk driver and lose her pregnancy, and the drunk driver would be charged with two counts of murder. But if she were to continue driving without incident, and she could pay someone for an abortion without any legal issue. We live in a country where a ruling made years ago, Roe versus Wade, said it was okay to abort a baby, in essence, legalizing murder. And advocates of abortion will say, well, it's my body, my choice, and it's just a whole bunch of cells, and that's all it is. Research says that is just simply not true. Matt Chandler wrote the following in a book called The Gospel and Abortion, and says this, the baby might be in the woman's body, but the baby is not the woman's body. It has its own DNA, it has its own genetic code, its own blood type, its own functioning brain, kidneys, and lungs. The baby is not the woman's body. The baby is in the woman's body, but that's not the same thing. Having an abortion is not the same as having a tooth pulled or having your appendix removed. Those are parts of your body. A baby is not part of a woman's body. It is another body, another human inside of a human body. And those advocating for abortion do not hold a biblical value or godly value of human life. Back when Roe versus Wade was made law in 1973, the world did not have 3D ultrasounds that could see babies move, could see them suck their thumb, or even smile. Thanks to advances such as this, it makes it harder to deny that there's an actual life being affected by an abortion. That's why I'm thankful that our church partners the Cookville Pregnancy Clinic, because we value life, they value life. And we want them, we want those considering an abortion to understand Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, that says this. It says, God formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know, and I was going, as I was prepping for this message, I thought it was so, so awesome how this message had been planned months in advance. Did not even know what the memory verse for our kids would be for vacation Bible school. And our kids were learning that they have value to God. They learned that they say, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love how God lines things up like that. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has a plan and a purpose for every single baby. Because he is the one who made them. That's why I'm thankful that our church also has a brand new ministry called Making Life Disciples. Where we train people within our church how to love on expecting mothers or new mothers and their families. And and that we get connected with them through the Cookville Pregnancy Clinic. So that we will see that not only that the baby they are expecting or the baby they have recently had. That we can help them understand that they have value in the eyes of God and that we want to help the child and the mother and everyone else in the family know how much God loves them and wants to have a personal relationship with them. Matter of fact, I want, I want to take a second. If you currently serve in this new ministry of our church, Making Life Disciples, I'm going to ask if you would just to stand up real quick just for a second. That We don't have a lot of people. I know some people are, are in and out of town and so forth. Uh, we've got Angela over here. She is the one. She actually came to me and approached me about this. And I'm just thankful that we have people in our church that are passionate about this to be able to get this ministry going. So th- I just appreciate what you do here for this. And, and this team, uh, Angela, oh, there we go. And Crystal's over here. I didn't see you over here. I'm sorry. They'll be out in our lobby today after the worship service that if you would like to uh, join with them for an upcoming class and learn more how you can make a difference in the lives of the unborn, Please go see them. We have probably close to, close to 10 people within our church that are part of this. And I'm so thankful that we are because I believe, um, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, the Cookville Pregnancy Clinic, with some of the stuff we're doing, we're saying that we're the first church that's even um, doing some of the programming that we're doing right now. Just be, we're trying to be so intentional with, with people that are pregnant or new, had a, a newly had a child. Before I move on from abortion, because I know I would love to and you would like for me to do it as well, but I need to say two more things. First, if you have ever had an abortion, God still loves you. Your abortion does not define you. It is not an unforgivable sin. As we have said all morning long, God values you. He loves you and he will forgive you for your abortion and for every sin in your life as a matter of fact. Just like every other person that is in this building today needs forgiveness for the sins that they have committed in their lives. You are welcome in this place and you will not be turned away because of your past choice. Second, this is why adoption and foster care are so important. As a church that says it values life, we must be willing as a church to adopt, to provide foster care, or financially support those who desire to adopt or foster. It is one thing to say that we value life, but it is another thing for the church to show it by its actions that it truly values life. You know, if if only we could just go ahead and end it right there, 
today and just say, we, we've covered it. We, we've covered all these different things. That's what's murder and what's not. But we have one more passage that we have to look at. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, it says this. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You know, it's, it's easy for us to kind of say, well, murder, it's, this is all kind of Old Testament talk. But then when we get here and we see Jesus saying something in the New Testament, um, we, could, you know, we could look back at today's message and say that we really didn't have anything to worry about. Because like I said, this was, all, this was Old Testament teaching. We don't have any intention of, of leaving church today and committing any of these acts of murder that we discussed. But then Jesus goes and says this in Matthew. He lets us know that not only does, does God's word prohibit physical acts of murder, but it also prohibits all violent emotions and intentions of the heart. So you may be sitting here saying to yourself, me, a murderer, I would never do anything like that. No, you may not have committed the physical act of murder, but if you've been angry at someone, and I'm not talking about, you know, just angry for a minute or something like that. I'm talking about that you have been angry enough to be mad at someone for days, for months, for weeks, for years. Or you've been angry enough to call someone names and you call them a fool or an idiot or something far worse than that. Guess what? You're just as guilty as a murderer. 1 John 3.15 says that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Just as someone who commits murder does not show value to God's creation, when we remain angry at someone, say slanderous words about them, wish they would die, we hate them, we do not show value to God's creation either. When we do those things, we have the same heart as a murderer. Jesus showed us the, the spirit behind the law of do not murder and that we should respond to personal offenses with patience, self-control, and forgiveness. It wasn't just about the physical act. It was about our heart and our thoughts that were going behind it. So again, maybe you were like I was when I was a kid and thought do not murder was a pretty easy commandment to follow. But when we really look at God's word, we could almost say it's one of the hardest to follow. That's why I'm thankful that we have a God that loved us so much that he sent his own son to be killed on the cross. The most unjust murder in all of the world. To be killed for our sake he knew we couldn't keep those commandments on our own. I may not commit the physical act of murder, but there are many times I've been guilty of having a murderous heart due to my anger. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, whether we have committed any of the acts that we've discussed today, 
or if we've just committed murder in our heart, great news is we can be forgiven for our sins. And we hear that and go, well, why, why would God do that? Why would he forgive us for our sins? Because of what we've said all morning long. Because he values us. We are his special creation that he loves. So let's pray.